0: welcome to under the influence the podcast where we help chiropractors improve their communication skills so they can help more people and help people more i'm your host dr martin harvey i'm a chiropractor and i'm an expert in communicating the value of chiropractic Today on Under the Influence, I am joined by Dr. Oliver Croak. So Ollie is a chiropractor. He's a second-generation chiropractor. In fact, I've known him since he was a kid. And I've always been impressed by his curiosity about the world and his passion about learning about the world generally but uh, and about, the, about chiropractic specifically. And he's got a really good balance where some of us can end up having that curiosity and wanting to learn more, but it's almost stopping us from taking action. We sort of feel like if I'm learning, if I'm consuming more information about this thing, then that's positive and it sort of stops us from then taking the action we need to to be able to grow in our practice. Whereas Ollie has that curiosity and he also has a phenomenal work ethic. So part of the reason that I wanted to have Ollie on today is that I've been super impressed with how quickly he's been able to grow his practice and grow both in a number of people he's helping, but also in terms of a solidity to that practice. So he's building in that sort of long-term way of building it with a strong emphasis on positive relationships with the people in his practice. So I think there's a lot in this discussion that you can learn from. So if you are a student or you're new in practice and you're looking for what should I be doing to be able to help more people and help them as quick as possible, And or if you're longer in practice and you're looking, well, what can I learn to increase the impact that I'm having in my practice and in my community? There are lots of lessons in the discussion that we have. Before we get to Ollie, a couple of announcements. If you are looking to up your game in terms of communication approaches, I strongly recommend you check out the Retention Recipe 2.0. It's a phenomenal program that will, in a really short period of time, help you implement an approach to communication in your practice that will both connect people with the big picture of chiropractic, i.e. seeing chiropractic for its value in prevention and performance, not just pain. And it will also help to establish really positive relationships, because it's all built on ethical approaches that value, acknowledge, and assert people's right to make the decisions that are right for them in their care. So you can check it out through the link in the show notes. There are free lessons that you can have a look at to see if it's the sort of program that's going to work for you. Uh, If it is, sign up and start learning how to help people in a client-centered and impactful way. So let's return to the show and welcome to Under the Influence, Dr. Oliver Croak. Hey, Ollie, welcome to Under the Influence. Thanks for making the time to... Get online.
1: It is an absolute pleasure, Martin. Thank you very much for having me.
0: My pleasure. So, this is the end of a practice day for you?
1: Uh, It's a public holiday today. So, that's right. New South Wales, public holiday. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Today was just gym and a little bit of gardening. It was good.
0: Okay. Well, you should be super fresh and uh, I'm I'm super keen to hear from you because you're always doing some interesting things. think I've known you since you are a kid, but um, I've really admired and enjoyed watching you kind of make your way in practice. Make your way makes it sound less impressive than what you've done. Sort of launch yourself into practice. And um, so hoping that we can loop back and kind of learn some lessons on momentum in practice, because that's something that I'm really impressed with, how quickly you have got momentum, maintained momentum. But before we get to any of that, Tough time of the day to be considering this, but what sort of coffee are you under the influence of these days?
1: It's changed recently. I was always sort of a cappuccino or a latte kind of guy, um, but since we got back from Europe in June, just the occasional macchiato, but only if I really trust the brewster. Yeah, you know, they need to be. They need to be good.
0: It's a high stakes game, the uh, macchiato, because if the basic shot there is not, you can. I think you can. Hide a multitude of sins with a lot of milk in a cappuccino or a latte, but the less milk you have, the less forgiving it is of the quality of the beans and the quality of the technique in extracting the oils, etc.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's a high pressure question, just because I know you know a lot about coffee and I just go, I just love coffee. Yes. Um, but yeah, macchiato is a risky business.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, we should actually get into this that you are perhaps the purveyor of the, um, best or or worst, depending on your perspective, coffee-related practical joke I've ever had, sort of like a weird gift to receive. Did you want to share that with the audience?
1: Yeah. So um, towards the end of my time at university, we were doing student placement, and I was very lucky to do mine with Martin. And one of the ways that I thought to thank him was Martin has a very regular habit of going to this cafe just across the road from his office. He gets a piccolo, and I think he basically downs it like a shot, and then just runs back over to his office and has a nap. Um, and he wakes up just in time for the caffeine to sort of hit his system, and then bang, he's ready to go. And um, so I thought this it is be this fun. is
0: not in the middle of an adjusting shift. This is a no, 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 lunchtime no, lunch lunch rejuvenation thing. <laughs>
1: yeah, oh, it's a very sensible thing. I, I I actually find the attention to detail that it requires very impressive. Um, but it was also not also an opportunity for a good bit of fun. So I went across the road with whatever the amount was, and um spoke to the staff at the cafe and i said you guys know martin and they were like yeah the piccolo dude and i was like that guy um i was like just you know he's 20 or 30 bucks or whatever it was i was like just at random any time until this runs out when he comes over to grab his piccolo um he he loves green tea like he just loves it with a passion can you just make a green tea in a piccolo thing and just give it to him just at random times and see how long it kind of takes him to notice. Um, And you can just prank him with that whenever you guys are feeling bored behind the counter there. Um, and so I would get a text message from Martin every couple of weeks where he'd just be like something along the lines of, you cheeky little bastard. Very, um, very
0: disappointed was I remember as one text. Because it feels yeah. like an attack on my identity. Like it feels like every time I'm in the, on the one hand, it was a very nice, thoughtful gift that you, uh, you gave me. But it, at the same time, it was like, and you're making me stand in front of people in my community who now think that i might be a green tea consumer so
1: one of yeah. my favorite moments was when i was skiing and you know how siri reads your text messages yes so i was skiing yes. with some headphones in and it just goes you know text message from martin harvey and it was like one of those i'm very disappointed in you although you're a terrible human being text messages as i was zooming down the mountain and i actually fell over laughing <laughs> um, which it may make you happy to know. Well, it does, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. If it, as long as it wasn't the time that you smashed up your shoulder, I'm happy. No,
1: no, no. It was a separate a separate year. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was not fun.
0: Excellent. All right. So moving on from there, you are doing a bunch of things in a bunch of areas. So sort of in the broadest possible way, what is the influence that you are trying
1: to have? I think in the broadest possible way, the influence I'm trying to have is to teach as many people as possible, A, the place and importance of a normally functioning upright mobile spine in their sort of broader general health, um, yep. and the opportunity that a, a properly functioning spine kind of gives you to then have drastically different health outcomes from your neighbours. Because yep. um, and there'll be some overseas listeners who aren't, probably aren't as familiar with Australian health health statistics as we are. But long story short, as Aussies get older, um, they get drastically, drastically sicker. And I think that's a pattern that's fairly consistent across the whole Western world. Um, And that's probably because everybody's doing basically the same thing to look after their health as their neighbours are. And so if we can go, all right, hey, here's this this different paradigm where we start, you know, working sort of um, on making you as robust as possible so that when you do encounter something in your life that stresses your system, you're more able to deal with it. Um, I think that's a very, it's a very powerful model and it and it sets people up for much happier long-term outcomes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so practice-wise, do you want to tell us where you're practicing and how long you've been there and perhaps give us the journey and because uh, I mean, you've got a very successful practice and by at least my reckoning, you haven't been in practice for a super long time. Did you want to just maybe tell us about that?
1: Absolutely. So graduated in 2017. Um, and moved up to a little town called Daniloquin, um, which is kind of just over the New South Wales-Victoria border to the north. Yep. Um, I spent about 18 months there before the sort of aforementioned shoulder incident, um, which required quite a few months off work. Um, and as I was kind of healing up, my contract was coming to an end anyway. So just sort of did the, you know, thanks for the experience, not going to renew the contract, and then um, have moved to Bega, which is... Much further over towards the coast, um, a sort of dairy farming town again, just across the border in New South Wales, um, and I've been there since February of 2020, um, so coming up on sort of three and a half, four years now.
0: Yeah. Okay. And from from what we've discussed, it's a you know highly successful practice. You're making a big impact in your community there. Um, what one of the reasons I was super keen to uh, have you on is, you know, there's I believe we are practicing in quite a different sort of context now than we were 20 years ago. That the that in most places around the world there's a greater level of regulation of chiropractic practice. Certainly in Australia and the UK, that's very true, but in other jurisdictions as well. And with the rise of other things that people in our communities might see as competitors of chiropractors, whether that's Pilates or physiotherapists or myotherapists or yoga or whatever else. There's a lot of other things that people might see as uh, something that they could do instead of having chiropractic care to get the aforementioned improvements in their spinal function. And there's, with the internet and social media, there's a lot more sort of diverse ways of getting uh, awareness but with that there's a lot of competition and so I think the the experience of a lot of newer chiropractor chiropractic graduates is it's a pretty tough environment to get momentum in whereas you've been able to get momentum quite quickly what do you think the the key is to getting momentum in this current context
1: I think the key there's a couple of different sort of circumstances in which you would do different things but I think the number one thing that is always true regardless of if it's a new practice or if you're taking over an associateship in in an existing thing or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, um, I think that leaning into relationships in the community that you're setting up in as quickly as possible um, is really, really important. And so one of the things that we do that I'm really proud of is um, thank you cards yeah. like handwritten yeah. thank you cards um, for internal referrals which might be a little bit old school I'm not sure yeah. um but you know we just we actually just ran out this week and I think we ordered 500 of them the first time that we that we yeah. ordered those which means that we've been sending out an average of kind of three to four of these things a week um, yeah. you know which that's a number I'm quite happy with yeah um so just- it's a
0: it's a really important thing I think if you're looking at that, that idea of when people do refer somebody to you there's a whole lot of emotion wrapped up in that in that um we we sometimes think that the mechanism of somebody uh referring to us is that they want they want to refer to you to help the other person and that's probably part of the motivation but what the influence literature tells us is most of the time people want to look good to their friends as the Cool, smart, connected person who connects them with something that is then able to help them. And so a lot of it is how they look. But people are essentially taking a risk in terms of if it doesn't work out, they look bad. And I think that if we then, if our response to that is that we send them a text or an email or something else that is, or a pre printed card even, that clearly doesn't take that much investment of time or energy or or anything else then that isn't necessarily something that they're going to feel particularly valued for whereas i think you taking that extra step and and zigging when other people are zagging other people are going into just uh using leveraging the technology that is efficient but not perhaps as effective in making people feel special whereas the card is the exact opposite of it it takes more effort you got to buy a stamp you got to do all those things that you know, just are the opposite of what a lot of the modern day experience is about
1: yeah absolutely and I, I can't remember it might have been you that i picked this up from but um we'll sometimes kind of wait two weeks after that person that's been referred is in the office and then we'll mail it then and we'll go you know dear martin thank you for sending us nicole um it's been a you know uh your referrals are the highest compliment you can give us. And yeah. uh, we're really enjoying watching her get back to whatever it is that Nicole cares about. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, thank you. Um, and we'll see you again. So, you know, yeah. that sort of is yeah. the card. Um, and they're just they're fun. I like I like doing them. I do them on I do them on a Monday, so it sort of sets you up energetically wise for the week because yeah. you're going to yeah. your shift on Monday, Arvo, and you're just yeah. ready to and ready to go. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of momentum, the then you know when I was sitting and going, all right, who are the who are the chiropractors that have influenced me the most? If I look at all of them as a bunch, the common denominator amongst all of them is that they all have different mechanisms um, mm-hmm. by which they lean into relationship with the people that they care for. Um, yeah. And so if you look at uh, like if you look at a Scotty Walters, he just does that. He's just a very genuine kind of bloke. I know he was on your yeah. podcast. Yep yeah. Um. Recent, uh, not recently, but you know, yeah. in the previously. Um, Andrew Cameron does that uh, Chris Barron does that really well um you know there's a there's a pretty extensive list of yeah. guys who just who just nail that um, and yeah. I think it's a really significant driver of any practice yeah.
0: anyway okay so you do the the community piece and so is that something that you've mentioned that as an example of that the thank you cards that you do for a referral for people who are already in the practice are there other things that you do to sort of engage with the community that uh, I guess separate from people who are already in the practice. There are there other Absolutely. ways? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. So um, we we do screenings um, early in the piece, and we'll do those as a fundraiser of some kind. So we'll, you know, you can set it up however you really would like to do that. But we um, we set the screening up as a mechanism to generate money for a local charity of some kind. So when I first went to um uh first went to bega we did screenings um, but at the time bushfires were very much a problem and so um, which is understating the case to a rather extreme degree yeah um and so we would anybody who had been significantly impacted by those fires which was a lot of people um we would i would pay for a third of their care um so that it was just easier for them to access. Um, We would do screenings as fundraisers for fire-related charities. Um, Yeah, you just I turned up at the local fire station with a portable table and just went, hi, I'm Dr. Oliver, like, I know you guys have had a bit of a rough couple of months. Is there anything I can do for you? And I just spent an hour talking to fireys and checking them out and um, yeah, like anything you can do that demonstrates that you care about what that community cares about. And yeah. I think it's important to say that you don't do that merely because it's a good practice builder. You could do that because you actually genuinely care about what that community's going through. Because you should if you yeah. intend to be there for any longer than 10 seconds. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we've got the involvement in the community piece. Anything else that you feel like has been instrumental in your sort of uh, rapid practice growth?
1: It was probably setting it up a bit as a student, um, mm-hmm. probably towards the end of university and in that first kind of two years, um, I spent a fair bit of time figuring out what sort of practitioner I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the advantages of the position that I'm in now is that I get to practice pretty much exactly how I would like to practice. Yep. Yep. Um, and so I think that if you have a really clear vision of what it is that you want, what, you know, yep. And you get that from, as a student, going out and doing lots of observations, um, you know, reading broadly as far as the research is concerned and sort of noticing naturally what draws you, like what's the thing that really interests you. Um, And then just, you know, some people like pediatrics, some people like old people, some people like sports, some people like families, you know, figure that out. Um, And if you've got a really clear idea of what that is, um, then you should seek out mentors that are better than you at the form of practice that you want to do and then copy paste the things that work from those guys.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Modeling is a really important thing. And I would, you know, I don't want to jump on your advice. I would actually say that that's something that if you are in practice, no matter how long you are in practice, there's value in refining your vision of what you want and using people who are, in practice doing that as models, whether you've been in practice for, you know, whether you are a student, which I agree is the ideal time to start to get some direction. I think sometimes though that your perspective is not then informed by any actual experience of doing it. And then, you know, perhaps for, for other people that, that what you need to be in practice for a little while to get, get a better sense of, well, no, I actually don't want to be a, sports chiropractor I have the people that I really resonate with are these you know older people who are getting value from me keeping them being able to garden and pick up their grandkids and that's much more resonating for me so I sort of think but the same playbook like I think that my I think that chiropractors observing other chiropractors is something that uh, we should encouraging much more broadly across the practice lifestyle but you know other professions if you are a medical practitioner you're far more likely to be interacting with other medical practitioners and seeing styles of practice and interacting with styles of practice whereas we tend to be much more siloed
1: yes yeah i agree completely one of the one of the kind of i don't know if the bravest thing i've seen practice wise but just i really kind of commend him um, is there's a chiropractor from Victoria, Bernie Haberman, yeah. who had been in practice for a, a number of years. I can't remember how many, but and he, him and his wife kind of ran it together. And he wanted to learn some stuff to on how to sort of run his practice differently. And he just kind of his wife took on his volume, and he went off. Uh, I think it was like ten weeks or something. He was yeah. um, he was following out of Mackenzie around and just learning how to how to do things a little bit differently so that he could. Tweak his practice so it was more the way he wanted it to be, yeah. Um, and it's it's really stuck in my mind as an example of someone just going, "I need to do things a bit differently." Um, yeah. how do I do that? That guy's good at that. Cool, we'll make that work. Yeah. Um, I think if more people did that, then we'd probably yeah. have a cooler profession.
0: Yeah. No, Bernie's pretty impressive guy. He's had, uh, you know, a background as a uh, an excellent football AFL footballer and a high level. AFL coach, and then he was a massage therapist, and then he became a chiropractor, and so he's had, he's been successful in a bunch of different areas, and then not, but he's still not satisfied with that. Look, I'm at this level and I'm successful. It's like I, I have a higher level that I want to aspire to, and then has done the hard work of not just wishing for that or hoping that somebody gives him the the playbook. He's essentially. Uh, well, he and Vanessa have sort of committed to uh, well, it, whatever it takes, we will do what we need to do to get to that level. So yeah, very impressive. And uh, yes. if people are new to the podcast, the other person that was mentioned there, Adam McKenzie, is also a previous podcast guest who is the guy who sort of heads up the Cairo Life Practice Group that um, Ollie's part of and um, so, so is Bernie. So be a group of practices here in Australia.
1: Yes, yeah, it's a, uh, he's a very impressive man. Both of them, yeah. I should say. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: all right. So we've got a bunch of different ways there of getting ourselves uh, unlocked. Anything that you wanted to add to that, or do you, you want to move on to the other areas that you're working in? Because I know you're a busy person.
1: <laughs> uh, in terms of practice momentum, I think I think that's probably the big one. Really, is yeah. just making sure that you lean into caring what those people care about, because if that's genuine, it's really obvious, um, and people will then gravitate fairly naturally to you um, as long as you're empathetic and certain um, and you're not mucking people around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so now I know you're working on some other things and you've had uh, work on, on a bunch of different areas over your time involved in chiropractic. I remember even as a student you were instrumental in getting the ACA to uh, have, if I'm remembering it correctly, was it a, uh, a scholarship for um, Indigenous students? Am I remembering that correctly?
1: Yes, that's correct. So I was at one of the DGs and they, I can't remember which one, um, but somebody was talking about how, you know, chiropractic utilisation rate sort of flicks around that sort of 5 to 10%. Rough number, um, and sort of wondering about how to how to increase that, um, and was just doing some general reading. And there's a lady at RMIT. I can't remember her name, so I wanna I wanna attempt to to, Auntie Kerry Doyle actually, and yeah. she's yeah. a professor of something nursing related. Um, and she did some research where they went into uh, Maori communities over in New Zealand and taught Maori kids how to like spot congestive heart failure and stuff like fairly basic, you know, signs that your tick is not doing super well um, and had them go home and check their parents. And part of their rationale for that was that um, uh, they noticed basically that, that Maori communities weren't engaging sort of at the same level as what you might suppose white communities are with that sort of Western healthcare model. And they wanted to improve that because some of their health outcomes were worse and, um so she spoke a bit about how typically people like to see doctors that sort of look like them and sound like them and the less cultural barriers there are the more likely you are to go see that person that's a good thing Um, or it's a natural thing and so I was looking for what are the populations that really need chiropractic and how do we get more of whatever that population is into the profession so that that population can benefit from our services and also that's going to diversify the profession and that's that's probably a good thing too. Um, yeah. And Aboriginal communities basically get absolutely slammed by uh, manual labour work, um, diabetes and suicide. Um, and I think that chiropractors are very, very well placed to screen for and help care for all three of those things um, if you're doing your job correctly. Yeah. And um, so I asked the Victorian branch of the Australian Chiropractors Association to create a Aboriginal scholarship fund um, for Indigenous students who need support to study chiropractic. Um and they I think thought they must have thought it was a good idea because it got passed to the national thing and now it's I think it's ten thousand dollars a year is the money yeah. sitting there for that. Um and it's been running since twenty seventeen, I believe. So that's that's
0: awesome. It's been good.
1: Yeah, yeah it's awesome. pretty cool.
0: And so what's this latest project that you are part of?
1: So I got asked recently to sit on the ARPEN committee, which advises the ACA board. So ARPEN is the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Rural and Remote Practitioner Network. So we'll stick with ARPEN because it's less of a mouthful. (laughs) Um, And um, one of the things that uh, Dr. Lyndon Amarin-Woods was talking about um, in the f- sort of first meeting that I had with them. Was so that...
0: L- Lyndon, just the background for people, is a chiropractor and also think has he got a Masters of Public Health? Um, I know he's a, he's an academic. He at, uh, he's got a postgraduate qualifications and is uh, undertakes research and teaching duties at Murdoch University in WA. Phenomenal chiropractor and essentially has... Uh, Give it given up a substantial amount of his practice to go back and do the hard yards of doing really high-quality research, um, looking at the potential impact that chiropractic can have. So super interesting guy and uh, super smart guy. Um, but, yeah, sorry, back to you.
1: That's all right. So um, Linden was basically saying that Murdoch had found that if their students did a rural placement, the likelihood that they went on to take a rural job went up by about 20%. And one of the things that I'm incredibly passionate about, especially over the last couple of years, um, is rural healthcare. Um, I think that rural people are underserviced in many, many ways. And the more we can do to alleviate that problem, the better. Um, And so basically the idea that I had was we should set up a, um, a register of chiropractors in rural communities that are willing and fit the criteria um, to take students for placement um, so that the Australian universities who do external placements or external observations have this kind of pre-existing database of guys who are there that they can send students out to learn from. It will diversify the educational experience for those students um, and my hope is that it will will turn into a sort of gradual uptick over time in students heading out into rural communities because they really need them. So what we'll be doing is um, uh, creating a database, basically, um, of Australian Cairo Association members in those areas. Um, We'll get them to sort of self-sort out because different universities have different criteria around what they think of as an acceptable practitioner. Um, They made for some quite interesting reading. Um, but It it got really weird. Anyway, yeah. um, you might want to edit this next sentence out, but like RMIT explicitly excludes SOT practices.
0: Oh, really? Yeah, I, d- I didn't. I I signed up for it. I didn't read that part of it.
1: I can send you the. Um, maybe don't edit this out because people should probably know that. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but RMIT in there, they have this kind of. I think it's like an e-will handbook. Is it? Is yeah. what it's called? It's basically yep. like a how to do external placement. And um, I was looking through it, and I was—they were like, "Yeah, you can't go to technique-specific chiropractors." Wow. You know, and then in bracket, it's got, for example, SAT. And I wow. was like, "I was like, that's bizarre. You just have to do this kind of random mishmash of techniques. Otherwise, RMIT is like, nah." But like, wow. I don't know what goes through these people's heads, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah I thought wow. That was yeah,
0: that is. They're, they're, I'm currently, I currently have a uh, placement student with with us, and have another one coming in for sort of the second phase of it. So I've been through the process, and yes, as you'd imagine, with RMIT, it doesn't get less bureaucratic. There are no. bizarre forms, if you like. anyway. That's probably a whinge for another day, and it's uh, certainly,
1: yeah, a whinge for another day. And separate to the point, um, basically, what the ACA is probably going to do, and this is a project that's in the works, um, is we'll establish the database. That way, when it's time for different universities to send students out, um, we'll be able to get an ACA rep in to go, all right, guys, here's the benefits of going into a rural placement environment. Um, Here's a a list of chiropractors willing to take you, um, subdivided out by if they're looking for associates actively or not. Um, And what we're hoping, basically, is that that fosters relationships between students and rural chiropractors so that kind of everyone wins in that circumstance
0: so probably a really interesting segue would be what are what's the upside of practicing in a rural environment because i've seen it be a phenomenal experience for either you know an ongoing lifestyle for some people or other people a great way to to get experience in a really interesting environment what would you say is why should i leave the you know, the familiarity of the big city to go and practice in country town or a coastal town or whatever.
1: That is a big question. Um there was an RMIT student who called me about that about a week or two ago. And I think mm-hmm. we ended up talking for about an hour and a half. So I can really get going on the topic of why <laughs> rural practice is maybe,
0: best. maybe give us your top three. I'll there. keep
1: you the yeah, I'll keep yeah. it short and simple. Um firstly you will see Much weirder stuff than Mm. you will in the cities. And that might not sound like a, you know, a sort of hugely alluring point. But, you know, if you're in, I don't know, name an inner city suburb, you're not likely to see the really super acute, freaky stuff where you actually need to know the things they teach you at uni around, like how to look for kind of scary red flags. Um, Whereas if you're in a rural environment, um, I had a lady turn up uh, three weeks ago now who had been helping her husband move boxes. Um, they were just shifting house. She wasn't lifting boxes; she was just emptying them. Um, and she'd been a long-term IBS sufferer, and so it was diarrhea every morning. Helped her husband move some boxes. Back started getting a bit nasty. Constipated. Hadn't had a poo without laxatives for the last, I think, three weeks or something. When I saw her, um, and if you're in a rural environment, there's often a GP shortage. And so it becomes a question of, all right, you need you need hospital assessment like now, and then you just, you know, you have to kind of leap into action to make that happen so that she gets the appropriate care. Um, and it's – there's a slightly sort of gratifying edge to the experience of making sure that woman gets the care that she needs, even if it's not in my office. Yeah. Um, and so I think that rural practice forces you to become – a much more rounded and able practitioner in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. Um, I think that rural communities are wonderful places to practice because if your reputation is good, it will serve you rapidly. Um, yeah. We spoke earlier about momentum. If you're good and you're in a rural community, people will hear about it pretty quickly. Um, yeah. And your internal referrals tend to go up and people are coming in the door um, and that's, you know, that's good for all the obvious reasons. Um, yeah. And I just love walking down the street and I don't know, you're wandering sort of 800 metres to go get coffee because contrary to any popular belief, they do have good coffee in rural communities. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, you see four or five people along the way that you look after. Like we had dinner at a lady's house that I've been caring for for a number of years and, um, when was that last night? Um, no, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Saturday night we went out to their house and, um, and just made wood-fired pizzas and chatted until 10.30. And it's, yeah. you know, there's a, oh, I can't remember who said it. I think it was Jim Sigifer first He said, and I'm going to really bastardize this sentence, but basically the, 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 the best thing about becoming a chiropractor is that you get to sort of tenderly and in a very nurturing way look after people and you will slowly and gradually become a part of their family and they'll sort yeah. of become a part of yours. And I think that um, I think um people should look up Jim Siegenfuss, what it means to be a chiropractor, because he phrases it better than I do. But yeah. I think that that is probably the single best thing about rural practice is that you will develop long-lasting relationships with people that you will feel a sense of love in your heart for. Yeah. Um, and if you're doing the right things, then they probably love you a little bit back and that's kind of nice. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and I think just just
0: on a complete self interest thing, and you know, you can verify or negate what I'm saying here, but certainly the chiropractors that I've come across in terms of getting sort of financial viability, in terms of sort of lower cost of living, and um, you know, easier not easier, but you know, uh, it's not as complicated to get momentum in practice in country environment, you can screw it up. Like the, the flip side mm. to what you're saying about the reputational part of it is that if you get a poor reputation, it's a much less forgiving place. But if you're good at what you do, it's a good environment to get momentum and, you know, get yourself set up more quickly right. than you than you might in the inner city.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's, um. I think you've hit the nail right on the head there. Um, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Awesome. And so if people are, you know, either um, looking at a change of practice location and or they're a a student um, in Australia coming towards the end of their education, um, they should just be, they should be on the lookout for the emails from the, well, first of all, if you're not a member of the ACA, you should be. I mean, I think we've spoken a lot about the situation at RMIT that these things happen and you know we need a, a an advocacy group like the ACL to support us um yes. but that was just my dog supporting that point and emphatically <laughs> in the background there um so uh but, but if they if they're in the aca they will be getting notification of that once the program is ready to roll
1: i would think so yes yeah keep an eye on your aca emails we'll probably I'm going to be certainly pushing to do a bit of social media stuff about it as well. So make sure you've, you know, you're on the ACA page and you you know who your regional kind of person is. Um, yeah. You know, get involved as much as you can because um, it's way more fun. I find the profession is way more fun when you're kind of knee deep in it at least. You know, yeah, um, and just getting amongst it a bit.
0: Yeah. So just a bit of a segue here. How, what influenced mm-hmm. you to get involved in chiropractic?
1: um there was a couple of things so um obviously well obviously for those that know me but not so obviously for everybody else um so i was raised by a chiropractor my father's name's tony um and a, a very highly skilled sort of mental health practitioner um my mother's name is tiffany just because everybody's getting introduced apparently so yeah it's <laughs> um, kind of raised by a chiropractor and a counselor which is kind of you know you can imagine the childhood that i had like Mum used to try and use like functional AK stuff to figure out if I was lying about having done my homework, like it was brutal. <laughs> but um, uh, I think that watching the impact that the two of them through that chiropractic office that they've run together for however many decades now had on their community was was really profound. And it kind of came to a head for me when um, I watched Dad, watched Dad give a presentation the title of which I think was It's Safer In Here Than It Is Out There. And it was basically comparing the outcomes of people who see chiropractors with people who don't. Um, And I'm quite a stats-driven person. Like, I love data. So if you give me data, I'm a very happy man. Um, And I was sitting there with all my preferences to go and study law at wherever. And then I was watching this presentation and I was like, oh, this is cool. And And the end of that presentation was Dad talking about this this child who'd been given basically a terminal diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, advised he wouldn't have very long to live. Um, And dad checked him a whole bunch. Mum took him into the office basically because she didn't have anything to lose. The kid was going to be sort of dropping off the perch anyway. Um, And I think she was internally referred by a friend or something. Um, And to cut a long story short, the kid is now, he's a couple of years older than me. So I believe he's in his early 30s. and last I heard, I think he builds model trains for fun. Um, and I've <laughs> never met I've never met this kid ever, um, but he's the reason I'm a chiropractor. because I think that if you take on a difficult profession of some kind and you do the hard yards to get, you know, competent to a sufficient level, that if you then go on to have an experience like that where you get to change the course of a life and a family forever, um, in such a profoundly positive way then you can die happy knowing that you've that you've lived well enough you know you've you've done your job contributed um, yeah. exactly yeah yeah so probably that was like the sort of that was the pivotal experience for yeah. me where I was like yeah. that's what I'm doing
0: no i remember that presentation it was yeah it's amazing things that we talk about but presented in a in a way that was incredibly compelling that combination of Sort of logic and emotion it's a very Mm. compelling message yes
1: yeah absolutely so so. over
0: over the journey what what or who would you say have been your biggest chiropractic influences
1: um well not to toot your your horn on your own kind of podcast mate but certainly you um you know i did all of my clinical placement with martin um so it was what 12 weeks i think it was Yeah. yeah and um, he's one of the smoothest operators that I have seen, even after having seen a lot of other chiropractors who work. Martin is a, a master of doing relatively, it's, it's, it sounds kind of, it minimizes the skill to say he's a master of doing the basics well, because yeah. he can do the complex stuff as well. But his day to day office running is, it looks very simple, but everything is very, very well thought out. Everything's measured, you know the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. It is, it is, it is truly impressive to watch. Um, and so I, no, it's a pleasure. Um, and, um, yeah, I find myself probably once or twice a week, at least, going, I wonder what Martin would do with that. Maybe this cool, I'll do that. And that's a, (laughs) you know, that's, that's stayed a very, um, a very sort of, that was a very profound experience for me watching the way that you work there. I was like, that is just, mm, that's impressive. so, yeah, that'd be you. Um, okay. Uh, dad, obviously, um, yeah. and I've kind of spoken a bit about that, but, um, you know, mum and dad have kind of zeroed in on how to run a really good adjustment session in ways that I think are really cool. So they have a um, a couple of criteria that they'll sort of judge in a, an adjustment session on. Mm-hmm. So when they're training their chiropractors, they, they grade them mm-hmm. on yeah. a couple of different things. The ability to greet, the, the patient or the client or whatever you want to call them by name, the expression of empathy, the continuity of care, your level of professionalism, so how well your notes are going, how your adjustment was going um, and the timing as well to make sure that you're not kind of fluffing about and wasting everybody's, everybody's every yeah. time there. Um, so you know, I'll think about those five criteria every time I walk into a room. Um, Andrew Cameron deserves absolutely a massive mention. Um, I I don't know that many people would have heard of Camo because he yeah. he's very rarely on social media you probably won't see him on a stage anywhere uh, but Camo runs an He absolutely... has actually
0: he has broken his silence to be a previous guest of Under the Influence if yeah if you look oh, up the he's I'm have he's, to listen to he's that. not a, yep. Well I love the uh, the title of it says so much about Camo it's he's not an asshole he's a contrarian um, so <laughs> it's
1: yeah. yeah sorry yeah.
0: I, go on he's he's not on social media much he's
1: he's not on social media and much but um, congratulations on drawing him out of his um out of his solitude but camo is another one where you just go like i remember walking in i used to do observations with camo a lot and i walked into it mm. to practice once on a wednesday morning at i don't know seven or eight o'clock in the morning and there was this old couple sitting there who just looked like they were dressed for a wedding like they were mm. You know, he's in a three-piece suit. She's sitting there in a dress. Um, And I just walked past him and I was, you know, I was there to see camo. So I just kind of looked at him and like, went, oh, yeah, whatever, cool. And, you know, off I went. And um, and then I think when I saw camo, I was like, oh, they're dressed pretty fancy. Are they going somewhere after this? He goes, no, they'll get on the bus and they'll go home again. And it turns out that they live like several hours, like several you know, very, very far away. I can't remember, it wasn't several hours, but it was ages away. They're there early on a Wednesday morning and it turns out that old mate, the husband, has got Parkinson's disease, which means that the wife has got them both up. She doesn't drive, so she got them both up, shaved him, dressed the Parkinson's patient, right, and then packed them both onto a bus in time to come out and see Camo. And, you know, Camo's not skimpy with his time, but he's also not one of those dudes doing 45-minute appointments. And so these people saw sufficient value in what he was doing to then act in that way. And I just remember thinking, mate, this dude is killing it. Like whatever he's doing, that's what you should be doing as much as possible all the time. Um, So yeah, he's also on the contrarian topic. He gave me one of the most sort of profound butt kickings of, you know, do your job better that I ever needed. He had a, or um, that I've ever had, he had a CA come in, told me to check her reflexes. And I can't remember what year I was in, but I was far enough through that I should have known how to do that really well. And I just fumbled through it and didn't do a very good job. And then he gave the CA the reflex hammer and had her do it on me and it was way better. And <laughs> he was like, he was like, thank you, Sue, or whatever your name was. And he gives, yeah. me, the, he gives me the reflex hammer and he goes, he goes that was bloody terrible. He goes, you should sit down, figure out on a calculator how many days it is before you're a chiropractor and then go home and practice. And so I did nothing but reflexes for the next week. And now I check him on every single patient, every single time. Um, Yeah, yeah, so camo, big one. Um, Scotty Walters deserves a shout out as well for being just another one of those guys who leans into relationships in a really sensible way. I know he's been on the podcast recently. People should listen to that. Um, Yeah, those are probably... Those are probably my big ones, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. But I could I could go for another hour and a half. There's a lot of yeah. cool chiropractors around.
0: <laughs> Definitely, absolutely. And so outside of that, other life influences that you think have been uh impactful on how you how you go
1: about things. Um other life influences. So uh probably Monty, um uh, my little brother. So um most people listening to this probably don't know, but he... Uh, passed away by suicide a couple of years ago now and um he was of the three siblings he was I definitely think he was the best of us um he was just a really a profoundly lovely young man yeah um and so he I'm probably a lot more kind of empathetic I've got that I think prior to Moi I had a, a bit of an ability to sort of proceduralize my empathy, so that I knew how to, you know, I could tick the boxes and go, yes, yes, I've done that. Um, but Monty, something about the experience of losing him really kind of drove that home. Yeah. Um, and so now that's, it's not that it was ingenuine in the in the first place, but there's just it's there's a really strong sensation of knowing what I suppose I know more now about what the depths of suffering can do to a person. And so when people tell me they have problems, I really, really listen. Um, so that's probably the big one in the last little while. Um, and then there's your usual stuff around, you know, books I read when I was a kid and yeah, um, some stuff like that, but I I can't think of anything really beyond Monty. Um, yep.
0: Yeah, no, I can imagine that's, uh, yeah, it was, He was an amazing person and the legacy that he leaves in terms of that just uh empathy as the the cornerstone of the interconnectedness of life, I think has been an impact on many people around him.
1: Yeah, yeah, he was he was the best of us, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was a wonderful, so, wonderful
0: kid. Question completely without notice. Um, yeah. You've mentioned quite a lot the things that you've read. Um, mm. If you were if people were listening to this and they were looking at, you know, if there was either a book or a, an article or a resource that you would be saying, I'm a, I'm a chiropractor out there, these are things that are worth reading. Mm. It doesn't have to be in any particular order and there may not be anything that sort of fits into that category, but are the books that have been influential on you or articles or resources that you feel are useful?
1: Yeah, um, that's an easy question. So uh, the first one is How to Win Friends and Influence People. Like the
0: Dale um, Carnegie classic.
1: That's the one, the classic. Honestly, it's just, it is the duck's guts. Like, um, yeah, so there's that one. Um, I would read The Richest Man in Babylon, um, which is a, it's not chiropractic or it's, it's a finance book, basically. Um, yeah. It's a collection of children's stories about how to manage your money. It's by a guy called George Clayson. Um, and just in case you're a bit of a spud, it's got the point at the end of each story. Um, and I think that you, if you've got your finances managed in a sensible enough manner, um, then A, it's a profession that can provide a really wonderful livelihood for yourself and for your family. Um, but I also think that not stressing about money because you know you've got your your, your stuff organised well, yeah. um, I think that gives you a lot more room to then be the practitioner that you should be and that your community deserves. Um, and so I think that you should probably read that to know how to do the fundamentals of of looking after your cash in a sensible way, because it's going to, that serves as a compound return for the people around you and the people you look after. Um, yeah. um, I think that I would be remiss not to mention the work of the Harrisons, both kind of father and son. Um, yeah. So the, Obviously, the researchers in the states. I think that the the CBP model is likely to be, you know, outside of that. Those of us who do that sort of functional neuro thing, but I think that that sort of structural model of chiropractic is likely to be preeminent um, over yeah. the next few decades. That's my sort of, you know, yeah. calling it now. Um, yeah.
0: So that's so Deed Harrison and his um, yes now deceased father Dong, who yeah. yeah published, you know, arguably the most published chiropractors in the profession.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that the idea of, well, not the idea, I suppose we have a reality now of a normal spine model. We know what they should what they should do, roughly how they should move. You know, we know what sort of curves they should have. Um, and we're gaining increasing certainty about the consequences of what happens when you deviate from those norms. Um, I think that that overarching certainty that you get when you go this spine should behave in this manner yours is behaving in this manner the differences between the two are likely to explain why it is that you can't play lawn bowls or knit or get off the toilet without one of those kind of old people bars um let's work on that together um you know you can you can look at someone in the eye and just with a great degree of sort of internal integrity go yes we should do this this and this yeah. um and that's really that's a really relaxing and profoundly useful thing to have within you um yeah yeah so that's probably that one um what have we got richest man in babylon how to win friends and influence people george clayson i think that's probably those are probably I think, the big I think ones that gives yeah
0: people plenty to go on with that so yeah. well, and certainly start a journey so Ollie, thanks so much for making the time to uh, share your journey, share, share your wisdom, and um, share kind of your big picture perspective on things. I, I really appreciated you taking the time, and I think there's heaps that we can learn from what you uh, what you've done, what you're doing, and how you've gone about it. It's impressive to to just have that to have the discipline to sort of form the vision of where you want to go, and then. Do the necessary work and endure a uh, dressing down from camo and come back from it stronger (laughs) rather than uh, be knocked down by it. So thanks, mate. I appreciate it.
1: It was a well-deserved dressing down. I needed it. (laughs) Yeah. But thank you very much. It has been a pleasure.
0: If you like today's episode, then you will love The Retention Recipe 2.0. It's an online workshop that is broken into 33 lessons and has over seven hours of content which will teach you to confidently communicate the value of proactive chiropractic in the first 12 visits. So if we want to have long-term retention, if we want people to stay with us for months, years, and reap the really amazing health benefits that happen with long-term chiropractic care, we need to set the foundation for that in the first 12 visits. So the approaches in the Retention Recipe 2.0 are based on state-of-the-art influence strategies that are effective, ethical, and they're enjoyable to use. They will help you to have more fun, less stress, and increase your retention, which means more practice growth and less always being on the hunt for new people. Check it out in the link in the show notes.